play the noise. Welcome back to Mark's Madness, now part of Chunkaluta Network. I, I don't know, is that a good David impression? You sounded just like him. <laughs> I felt like Blue's Clues. <laughs> You're gonna have to do that uh that video that's been going around of those uh i think they're afghan just imitating a, uh, a someone speaking english and it's just speaking <laughs> gibberish and it's like a really good mockery oh i need to hear this that sounds great that sounds like a good sound bite to have <laughs> especially whenever like i fuck up english and i'm like fuck the english language just play that after <laughs> Um, so, uh, we're of course, uh, reading Gramsci still. <laughs> Don't forget if you have an opinion about what we should read next, get it to us before we decide without you. I don't know. We're supposed to do like a straw poll or something. I don't know. I don't know how to make a poll. Do a Twitter poll. Oh, drive engagement freely. There you go. Anyway. Um, hear that, Elon Musk? We're helping you. Yeah. No, I'm at our engagement. I don't give a shit. Looks going to some fucking billionaire, right? What? Who's Discord owned by? Uh, I think they're independent, but they get like most of their investment money from Microsoft. So, hmm, that's suspicious. <laughs> <laughs> I should look into that. Uh, Let's see. Um, At any rate, we, uh, you know, we're a third of the way through. Sony, Tencent, and a bunch of uh, investment banks. Oh, Sony. Is that good or bad? I assume they're bad. It's all bad. It's Everything's bad. bad. <laughs> <laughs> so we're on slide 106 in the PDF or 110 on communism 1919 through 1924 in the introduction. Um, for you to find while we talk about current events. And of course, this wonderful podcast is being recorded while the genocide of Palestinians goes on. And... We're recording this on October 18th, so a lot more is going to happen between now <laughs> and when this comes out. That's a terrifying sentence, considering everything that's already happened. Because <laughs> yeah. the ground evasion got stalled, so it's like... Yeah. Well, and then the U.S. was, like, filibustering it, so I don't know where... where I went to bed while I was still being filibustered. What's happening now? Prez. They're like still filibustering. It's like not oh. going to happen while Biden is there. So I'm assuming like as soon as Biden leaves, they're going to invade and then shit's going to hit the fan even more. But uh, like uh, we're going to get really one of those Chamberlain scenes where it's going to be like, we have peace in our time. <laughs> Israel bombed a hospital. Uh no, didn't you hear that really convincing audio? Oh, yeah. Of <laughs> people who definitely natively speak Arabic. There's a hospital graveyard. I grew up in Gaza, the very tiny place. 
<sighs> like it's not I, I if it's anything like Pine Ridge, I could not imagine it's that hard to learn the area because it's much smaller than Pine Ridge. It's literally like twenty square miles. Yeah. Or some insanely small number for two million people to be on. Um, but like I remember last night getting notifications from like AP and BBC on my phone going like Israeli airstrike hits hospital. And then I wake up in the morning and everything's from AP and BBC going Hamas missile hit hospital. And it's just the most fucked up cynical play um they're estimating now over 1200 people died in that strike last time i saw was a thousand so holy shit yeah just number go up i mean that's that's probably very conservative yeah no i mean like i saw the pictures of them holding the babies and it's like they can produce the pictures of dead infants. Why can't Israel? Yeah. You know, like, this is genocide. You better start proving your shit if you're going to claim you're not doing it, you know, or you're being, hey, it's being done to you. Like, Israel they have pictures of dead hospital. babies. Israel called the hospital to warn them to evacuate a day before this. They said you have 24 hours to evacuate. And they're trying to pretend that it was a Hamas rocket now? Yeah. And, like, the Hamas rockets, if you see pictures of, like, one that hit a building, like, that shit goes in a window, and it causes some damage, but, like, the floor is still there. (laughs) Um, Like, it destroys the window, and it it breaks up the room inside, but it is not a powerful rocket. Um, These are, like sold by america to israel they they explode above the building so they can destroy the building kind of kind of things so and kind of fucked yeah it's not good the the only way that this building could have been destroyed was if one hamas somehow has missiles and rockets that we don't know about and no one else knows about in which case uh they wouldn't be using it on a hospital They would have been their hitting own much bigger targets. Hospital. Their own hospital. Yeah. <laughs> now, even if it was a misfire, they it would have been misfired into something a lot closer to like a military base if this was the kind of technology. Um so like th- this is definitely like an, an an IDF thing. But you know, if you're listening to us already, you already probably believe the truth that this is an IDF attack on a hospital, which is a war crime, and all of that stuff. So I don't know how much we should, we're going to have to repeat this to beat a dead horse. <laughs> no, yeah, we're going to stop there. You can look into it further because this is depressing as shit and I'm about to cry. So, uh, no, it's really sad. And as like a Lakota person, like if I got told tomorrow 
that IDF soldiers started using babies as skeets, like the 7th Cavalry, I would not be surprised. Like, it is monstrous and cowardly, the atrocities that are going on and the way they're doing them and then lying. You know, like, (laughs) at least America had the decency to be honest. (laughs) But anyway. uh, On to communism. (laughs) By Gramsci. <laughs> on to communism. He wrote the book on communism. <laughs> um, so this is specifically the periods of 1919 to 1924. Does it, is it going to cover like global communism of that period? Well, this is the section on his writings on like communism. So Just this, in general. Is, this okay. is covering like the split from the Socialist Party into the formation of the Communist Party. This is also covering like his uh, flawed analysis of communism's response to fascism and just the role of the Communist Party in Italy at the time. Okay. Yeah. So I was, the one thing I noticed is 1923 is when Indians get citizenship in the United (laughs) States. He actually talks about that. What? No, Hell he yeah. What? <laughs> he doesn't. Oh, I was you, joking. I thought there was like an honorable mention. No. Damn. Everybody forgets about the Indian. Mm. I don't think he forgot. I just don't think he cared. <laughs> Most people. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> that being said, let's begin reading. In January 1921, the Communist Party of Italy, PCDI, sorry, <laughs> was formed out of a split at the 17th PSI Congress, Party of Socialism Italianismo. <laughs> Probably not correct. Congress in Liv- Livorno. Did I say that word even correct? You were just doing Italian stereotypes. I am. I am. You're worried about pronouncing a city correctly. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't be. But yes, it's Livorno. Livorno, okay. The culmination of two years of acute inner party conflict. It was an amalgamation of three main currents a group of left maximalists and two communist fractions. So, you know, once upon a time, I thought I invented the term maximalist, like like utopian maximalist, only to come find out. No, most people have identified that trend throughout every revolution. <laughs> the saddest thing is when you think you're being really smart and innovative with theory, and then you realize, like, ah, oh, shit, someone 40 years ago thought like this. <laughs> it's like, oh, this is like normal. Okay. Well, and then I realized, oh, we need we need to address this phenomenon. So now I call it aesthetic communism. <laughs> I've, I found a way to group everybody together. What we should be doing. Hmm? If only some guy wrote a book about yeah, what right. we should be doing. Exactly. Well, anyway. <laughs> well, have we, have, has Marx done read what is to be done? Has who? 
Has Mark's Mark's Madness read? How is, what is to be done? I don't think so. Maybe that should be on the list. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, <clears throat> a group of left maximalists and two communist fractions. I hate that. Sorry, I hate that they say fractions. But one grouped around, around Amadeo Ortega's Na- Naples periodical Il Soviet. The other around the turn Ordine Nuovo group. Together, these groups carried out a third of the delegates with them to found the new party, of which Borga became first general secretary. During his leadership in 1921 to 23, the new party held a course which was to prove politically disastrous at a time when fascism achieved power in the state in 1922 and struggled to consolidate it. In December 1921, the Communist International, Comintern, launched the United Front policy. This called upon communist parties to engage socialists in common action at both party and trade union level. In Italy, this would have been, in practice, a fusion between the communists and a group of left-wing socialists who were seeking affiliation to the Comintern. Fusion in early 1922 would probably have strengthened the left against fascism. Yet a majority of the PCDI... Uh, formed precisely out of split with this. <laughs> Sorry, I just remember what I was doing Italians. <laughs> Stereotypes. Uh, I love making fun of Italians. <laughs> formed precisely out of a split with the socialists. So the United Front policy as anathema, did I say that right? And resisted, and, and, yeah, I don't know. I don't care. It was until the end of 1923. Resisted it until the end of 1923. On the fascist movement, Bordega's position was that it was a symptom of capitalist crisis and that it would either collapse or be overthrown. <clears throat> Just saying a lot of people's position is that. <laughs> he therefore saw a revolutionary confrontation in Italy as still on the agenda, even after the fascists came to power in October 1922. He argued that in these conditions, the working class needed to be decisively led by vanguard party rather than its revolutionary will diluted by cooperation with socialists. At the party's second congress at Rome in March 1922, a large majority approved Bordega's thesis on tactics opposing the United Front policy. The text of the Rome thesis is reproduced in SPW 2, pages 93 through 117. Um... From the autumn of 1923, however, a new leading group of the party began to form around Gramsci and Togliatti. (laughs) Togliatti is just such a... Togliatti. Huh? Togliatti. 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 (laughs) Togliatti. That better? Yes. Togliatti. (laughs) Over the next two and a half years... This group was a shift the party this group was to shift the party away from Bordega's positions. It was to make a more particularized and accurate assessment of fascism, develop a conception of the party as a potentially mass organization, and become more tractable yeah, <laughs> toward form, towards forms of united action and tactical alliance with other organizations. 
Four points are perhaps particularly distinctive about Gramsci's political writing, the first period of PCDI activity from the Livorno Congress to his assumption of the party leadership in August 1924. This first is the centrality of the peasant question. For, sorry. <laughs> For Gramsci, the peasants greatly radicalized at the end of the war had to carry through a revolution in the undeveloped south of Italy. The bourgeoisie had no interest in developing the South. On the contrary, its interest lay in perpetuating the South's political and economic subordination, hence, which still exists today. But hence, agriculture could only be modernized under socialism. This meant an alliance of workers and peasants led by the communists. This second point is his assertive... Oh, not his assertiveness. His attentiveness to a rapidly changing political situation and his realistic assessment of shifts in the balance of class forces. The PCI urges, argues, had failed. PSI. The PSI, he argues, had failed to respond to balance, to the balance of class forces. The PCI argues, he argues, had failed to respond to the politicized. Did I just repeat that? Shit. Fuck me. I'm so bad at reading today failed to respond to the politicization of the peasantry and urban petty bourgeoisie at the end of the war. The peasants had therefore sought a political home instead in the new Catholic party, the PPI. <laughs> Sorry, PSI, PPI, PCDI. Ah, Marxism. <laughs> well, the, the Catholic party, the PPI, was not Marxist. Oh, okay. I was confused. So this is just like a like a peasants organization. That's about it. Or is this like a fascist thing? Uh, I'm trying to find the real name. Give me one second. But and then it says in the petty bourgeois among the fascists. So I'm like curious. Yeah, it was. It was. It, was, uh, it translates to Italian People's Party. Oh no, populism. And it's now the Christian Democrats. So <laughs> <laughs> it's literally the Catholic Church's party. That's crazy. They have their own party, huh? That makes sense. Yeah. Europe, Europe, European political parties are fucking wild. These two political forces had consequently been strengthened at the expense of the parties of the left. The third point concerns Gramsci's relations with the Comintern. Like Bordega, he opposed the United Front from above i.e. a formal fusion with the PSI left, um, and he criticized the central centralism by which the common turn decreed such policies without taking account of different national situations. <laughs> what you're just saying. <laughs> but unlike Bordega, he did not want to want an open confrontation with the Comintern. And after his residence in Moscow as PCDI representative, June 1922 to December 1923, where he, he also gave... met his wife. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so he's like, I'm out of here. Get married. Fuck it off. <laughs> he gave increasing priority to disciplined internationalism while insisting on the need for a party strategy based on a rigorous reconnaissance of particular national conditions. I think this is why I fucking love Gramsci. <laughs> 
I love I love that position. <laughs> the fourth point concern is the nature of the party. Against the more orthodox conceptions of the vanguard party held by Bordiga, Granchi conceives a dialectical movement between membership and leadership in which the impulses of mass democratic organization can be combined with clear leadership. This conception will be elaborated in the period leading up to the party's Lions Congress. Leones? I don't know. Leones. Look at me. Huh? I was like, that guy colonized us. <laughs> well, Leon is in France, so. Isn't that? Isn't that? You're just telling me that's not French influenced? Leon? Yeah. No, Leon is like actually in France. That, that like the Leon's Congress is in France. Like they went to France. For okay. It. Okay. I understand now. <laughs> not just like Italian city influenced by I France. just assumed France owned part of Italy at one point well yeah see oh, I know that I didn't even have to know I knew that though I get how this shit goes I played the EU4s no I didn't I've never played those I'm kidding <laughs> <laughs> 90s, actually, I have played them. I'm not, I don't, I know anything. I'm bad at it. <laughs> we play Victoria 3 here. We know. I've never played Victoria 3. It's I've never played Victoria play. 2. I've played Crusader Kings 2. And I've played EU 4 for like three hours. <laughs> and I didn't, I didn't get it. Like, people play this for thousands of hours. Well, one That's of my crazy. friends has like 6,000 hours on So6 or some shit, and I just I, <sighs> that them are you are we friends on Steam? No. Oh, my dad logged like 6,000 hours on Civ 5 on my account. So everybody's <laughs> like, you really like Sid Myers? I'm like, I, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I mean, I will play Sid Myers 6 like just in the background. But I don't like fucking try hard. I turn off most victory options, like science victory only. <laughs> Discourage people from fucking religious shit. <laughs> <laughs> totally different game. But anyway, uh, and theoretically developed in the prison notebooks in the discussion of democratic versus organic or bureaucratic centralism. Man, Gramsci. Gramsci's the Gramsci is the boy. That's all I'm going to say. Is that repeatedly, every single time we read this shit, I'm always finding passages that I'm like, uh, uh, share. I can do this one. I, I was going to make you, but I was like, this is probably going to be the shortest section. So, you know, I'm not sure how your throat feels since COVID. Uh, that's fine. Okay. I'll survive. I don't know how it works. I've yet to get it. Knock on wood. Good for you. I know. <laughs> I've gone around the country and I've yet to get it, and that blows my mind. I've gone around the country too many times. Like, I try to be conscious, but, like, definitely in recent years, now that there's not signs reminding me for masks, I'll forget until I hear somebody cough, and then I'm like, where's my mask? <laughs> the one I went to the doctor recently, and the doctor was like, why are you wearing that? <laughs> <laughs> Sir, that's like my dad was telling me when my sister was born, 
the doctor was like smoking cigarettes or something in the fucking bathroom while my mom like was like crowning and they didn't come and get him until he was done smoking his cigarette. How how old's your sister? Because like, she's like a year or two older than me. A year and a half, two years. So oh, that's definitely after all the hospitals banned smoking. I'm not in Arizona, baby. <laughs> But I'm like, that doesn't sound right. No. <laughs> so anyway. He's like, on the nursing ward, like on the baby ward, too. <laughs> Bro. It's like half his body hanging out the, the window, like in a movie or some shit. Unbelievable. <laughs> okay, I'm going to mute. The war in the colonies. In a resolution adopted by the 5th Congress of the Algerian Socialist Workers' Party held at Const- held in Constantine in 1902, these words were addressed to the French capitalists. What, what, what just, are you muted? I accidentally hit mute. I was um, wondering what that big bang was, and then all of a sudden you just went silent. <laughs> uh, let me just repeat, and then we can just cut that whole thing out. Part one, the war in the colonies. In a, in a resolution adopted by the 5th Congress of the Algerian Socialist Workers Party, held at Constantine, In 1902, these words were addressed to the French capitalists. If you declare yourselves to be incapable, and this is a whole block quote, if you declare yourselves to be incapable of carrying out this work, parentheses, educating the indigenous population, giving it a consciousness and moral awareness, close parentheses, thus revealing your importance, we have the right to ask you just what your intentions in this country are, and whether you have simply come to substitute your French for Turkish tax collectors. This attitude of the indigenous peoples to the metropolitan countries was intensified considerably by the war. The war between capitalist imperialisms was quickly followed by the revolt of the colonies against the, against the victorious imperialisms. During the war, the colonies were exploited to an unprecedented degree using inflexible and inhuman methods such as can be conceived only in periods of civilization as marvelous as that is capitalism. The indigenous peoples of the colonies were not even left their eyes for weeping. Foodstuffs, raw materials, everything possible was combed from the colonies. Okay, can we talk about that line? Yeah. They were not even left their eyes for weeping. That's like sad, but like a banger. Yeah. Because <laughs> this is also like well after everyone knew what was going on in the Belgian Congo. So like, and also like what after what everyone knew what was going on in slavery. So <sighs> Gramsci stays winning. And yet no, nobody's talking still. About how all of that went on here. Well, it didn't. The land was empty. Oh yeah, Terrace. Not sorry, I forgot. Doctor you know, of discovery. No. <laughs> like, 
there were like six Native Americans, and you just taught us how to grow corn. There's like six Native Americans, and two of them were taught English by the same guy. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the indigenous peoples of the colonies were not even left their eyes for weeping. Foodstuffs, raw materials, everything possible was combed from the colonies to sustain the resistance of the warring metropolitan peoples. That is also just one hell of a sentence. The capitalist vice gripping the colonies worked wonderfully. Millions and millions of Indians, Egyptians, Algerians, Tunisians, and Vietnamese died from hunger or disease as a result of devastation wrought on the wretched colonial economies by European capitalist competition. How could an Egyptian or, or Indian peasant make his prices competitive with the English or French Italian or Italian state? Rice, wheat, cotton, wool, all this was secured for us Europeans while the colonial peasant had to live on herbs and roots, had to subject himself to the harshest corvée labor in order to scrape a bare subsistence minimum and had to suffer the raging impe impetuous and untamable famines that rage in India like natural storms. For several years, we Europeans have lived at the expense of the death of the colored peoples. Unconscious vampires that we are, we have fed off their innocent blood. As in Balzac's novel, the steaming plate of rice that was placed before a privileged mouth bore with its hermetic numbers the death sentence of, distant, of a distant human brother. But today, flames of revolt are, be are being fanned throughout the colonial world. This is the class struggle of the colored peoples against their white exploiters and murderers. It is the vast, irresistible drive towards autonomy and independence of a whole world with all its spiritual riches. Connective tissues are being recreated to weld together once again peoples whom European domination seemed to have surrendered once and for all. Out of its defeat, Turkey itself is regaining prestige and seems to be setting an example to the world. For millions upon millions of human beings, the Anatolian shepherd is worth more than the Manchester cotton manufacturer. The Sultan is a beacon that beams brighter than any Liverpool ship owner. Armored cars, tanks, and machine guns perform wonders on the dark skins of the Arab and the Hindu peasant. But the extortions of capitalism are far, far more deadly than modern weapons. They kill women, children, and old people through starvation and despair by degrees implacably. And those drowsy colored peoples are now defying airplanes, machine guns, and tanks to win independence to crush the monstrous vampire that feeds off their flesh and blood. So, you know, any settler that ever is like, oh, we're proletarian, be like, yeah, listen to Gramsci on the subject. <laughs> Unconscious vampires. Such a good fucking... This entire section is on everybody's must-read list now, okay? <laughs> I had to check out that Algerian Social Worship Party's fucking Fifth Congress. I bet you it's pretty good. Yeah. Um, so, next part. Workers and peasants. 
Sorry, I had to burp quietly. In the countries which are all... This is on, right? Jeez, I don't know. This doesn't sound like it is. So in the countries which are still backward in capitalist terms, like Russia, Italy, France... France? Really? At this time? In Spain? Really? So Sorry, what? I mean, Spain was a, a bit of a fucking mess back then. France. <laughs> I mean, outside of Paris, France is kind of shit even today. Oh, I don't, I don't know enough about France. Yeah. I just know they own a lot of colonies, so I would assume they'd have a better, like, you know, center if they're stealing that much wealth. Yeah, the, the, the France was like either you're super urbanized in Paris or like the main other cities or it's like you're in you're a peasant <laughs> okay yeah that makes sense <laughs> um there's a clear separation between town and countries yeah shut up and let the book read prez <laughs> i'm blaming you <laughs> between workers and peasants in agriculture more or less feudal economic patterns have survived together with corresponding mentality the idea of the modern liberal capitalist state is still unknown can, and uh, it's kind of crazy how this kind of still exists, but with like sharecropping here in the United States, like on my reservation, like with like the legalization of weed and shit, the tribe will help you start a farm, but then like they fucking take, like they put your land as collateral, like your allotment land, if you have any, and uh, you only get 10% of whatever you grow. <laughs> It's like that's that's sharecropping. <laughs> no, that you're you're uh, you're paying back what you borrowed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, at an exorbitantly high interest rate it's in the contract. <laughs> you agreed to it. <laughs> so, um, where were we? Um, the idea of the modern liberal capitalist state is still unknown. Economic and political institutions are not seen as historical categories, i.e. as categories having a beginning, then undergoing a process of development, and finally dissolving, after having created the conditions for a higher form of a social system. Instead, they are seen as natural, perpetual, irreducible categories in which, um, in reality, big landed property has remained improved impervious to free competition and the modern state has respected its feudal essence devising juridical judicial juridical i hate english (laughs) juridical formulae such as fide commissum what's that what's that a Roman law and civil law system, a gift of property to a person, usually by will, opposing upon that person obligation to to, to transfer. Um, I lost my place. It, to a specified ultimate recipient, the latter being a person legally incapable of taking the property directly, or at least not in the amount designated, a constituted means of evading the inheritance requirements of Roman. In Roman and civil law. Huh. So, like, it was a way to get around death tax? I don't, I don't understand. 
I'm done. <laughs> yeah, it's essentially a tax dodge. Okay, okay. So, like, in, like what's what's it called the? I forget. It's never gonna matter to me anyway. <laughs> Rich people shit. <laughs> uh, anyway, Fide. I don't know if I'm even pronouncing this. Commissum, which effectively perpetuate the investors, investitures, and privileges of the feudal regime. Hence, the peasant still has the mentality of a glebe serf. He erupts in violent revolt against the gentry every now and then, and he's incapable of seeing himself as a member of a collect of a collectivity. Just say collective. <laughs> the nation for the landowner holders, the class for the proletarians. Nor can he wage a systemic systematic and permanent campaign designed to alter the economic and political relations of society. Under such conditions, the psychology of the peasant was inscrutable. Their real feelings remained occult, entangled and confused in a system of defense against exploitation that was merely individualist, devoid of logical continuity, inspired largely by guile and feigned servility. Class struggle was confused with brig brigandage. Brigandage? What is that word, Prez? Brigandage? Like, oh, it's like highway robbery. Okay. With blackmail, with burning down wood. What? Burning down woods? Like, because like landowners owned it? Is that, uh, that a thing peasants were doing? Huh? Primitive accumulation. They were burning down woods? They were just doing that? Yeah. That's fucking dumb as shit. Yeah. Well, you burn <laughs> it down so then you can have farmland or you can build factories and shit. That's crazy. Capitalism is not intelligent. <laughs> so fucking dumb. At least, like, they clear-cutted ours. Fuck. I mean, in some cases, they did just burn it down. Like, the whole bonfire practice is like like settlers being like, man, look at all this shit we cut down. <laughs> <laughs> we just got to burn it because we can cut down more tomorrow. <laughs> Which is fun. Bonfires are fun. <laughs> but try not to just cut down living trees like those assholes. So, um... Where were we? <sighs> Under such conditions, the class struggle was confused with brigandage, blah, 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 burning down the woods. With the hamstringing of cattle. Is that cattle wrestling? Is yeah. that okay. Just fucking European terms for it. With the abduction of women and children. Damn. They're doing this to themselves. What the fuck? With the... Or is this still talking about colonies? This is still talking about the colonies. Okay, this makes so much more sense. I'm like, man, I really resonate with this. <laughs> um, I mean, we were doing this to ourselves. Sure, sure, sure. But I'm just like, man, this seems all so familiar. You know? <laughs> I mean... <laughs> With assaults on the town hall, it was a form of elementary terrorism without long-term or effective consequences. Wait, what? 
I don't think that's true. Um, <laughs> objectively, therefore, the peasant's psychology was restricted to a tiny number of elemental feelings dependent upon the social conditions created by the democratic parliamentary state. This is getting weird. Not gonna lie. <laughs> the peasant was left completely at the mercy of the landowners and their hangers, hangers on and corrupt public officials. His principal concern was to defend himself physically from the assaults of the elements and from the abuses and cruel barbarities of the landowners and to public functionaries. This peasant has always lived outside the rule of law. He has never had a juridical personality nor moral individuality. He lives on an anarchic element, an independent atom, and a chaotic tumult. <laughs> too smart of a fucking writer jesus i'm <laughs> constrained only by his fear of the police and the devil he had no understanding of organization of the state of discipline though patient and tenacious in his individual efforts to wrest a lean harvest from nature and capable of making unheard of sacrifices in his family life he was impatient and savagely violent in class struggle, incapable of setting himself a general goal for action and pursuing it with per perseverance and systemic struggle. Four years of the trenches and exploitation of his blood have radically changed the peasant psychology. This change occurred especially in Russia and was, on the essential was one of the essential factors in the revolution. One industrialism had not not brought about in its normal process of development was produced by the war. The war forced those nations which were less advanced in capitalist terms and those nations which were less advanced in, and hence less endowed with technological equipment to enroll all available men and to oppose wave after wave of living and to oppose <laughs> wave after wave of living flesh to the war instruments of the central powers. For Russia, the war meant that individuals who had previously been scattered over a vast territory came into contact with each other. It meant that humans were concentrated together uninterruptedly for years on end and under conditions of sacrifice with the ever-present danger of death and under a uniform and uniformly ferocious discipline, the lengthy duration of such conditions of collective living had profound psychological effects and was rich in unforeseen consequences. Selfish individual instincts were blunted, a common united spirit was fashioned, feelings were universalized, the habit of social di discipline was formed, the peasants came to see that the state in all its complex grandeur, its merciless power, its intricate construction, they came to see the world no longer as something infinitely vast. I'm gonna cry, this is beautiful. They came to see the world no longer as something infinitely vast like the universe and as circumscribed and small as the village bell tower, but as a concrete reality consisting of states and peoples, social strengths and weaknesses, armies and machines, wealth and poverty. Links of solidarity, solidarity were forged, which would have taken decades of historical experience and intermittent struggles to form. Within four years, in the mud and blood of the trenches, a spiritual world emerged that was avid to form itself into per permanent and dynamic social structures and institutions. Wow. <sighs> I would write that one down. <laughs> oh. 
<laughs> um, let's see, where were we? In this way, there emerged the councils of military delegates on the Russian front, and the peasant soldiers were able to play an active part in the Soviets of Petrograd. Moscow and the other industrial centers and so acquired a consciousness of the unity of the working class in, in this way too, as fast as the Russian army was demobilized and the soldiers returned to their jobs, the entire territory of the empire from the Vistula to the, what's the Vistula? Vistula? The fuck's that? It's like the river border in Poland. Weird demarcation line. <laughs> um, that's how people knew it back then because like this was the time of the german empire okay than poland being oh i guess that makes sense okay but from the vistula to the pacific became covered in the tight-knit network of local councils basic organs of the russian people's reconstruction of their state wait i hold on it just occurred to me that for this Poland is the border for Asia. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> Polish or Asian. I love it. <laughs> Whiteness. What a great concept. <laughs> <laughs> it was on this new psychology that the communist propaganda, which radiated from the industrial cities, was based, and the same was true for the new social hierarchies freely advocated and accepted as a result of the experience of collective revolutionary living. Historical conditions in Italy were not, and are not, very different from those in Russia. The problem of class unification of the workers and peasants is expressed in identical terms. It will be achieved through the practice of the socialist state and will be based on new psychological, psychologically created by communal life in the trenches. What? Oh, based on the new psychology. Jeez, that's my fucking issue. Created by communal life in the trenches. Italian agriculture must radically transform its procedures if it is to emerge from the crisis caused by the war. So much livestock was destroyed that machinery will have to be introduced. There will be, have to be rapid transition to centralized industrial farming with generously equipped technical institutions available. But a transformation of this order could not occur in a regime of private property without provoking a disaster. It will have to be affected by a socialist state. And in that interest... In, and in the interests of the peasants and workers combined in communist labor units. In the past, the introduction of machinery into the process of production has always provoked profound unemployment crisis, only gradually overcome through the elasticity of the labor market. Today, labor conditions have been radically altered, and agrarian employment has already become an insoluble problem as a result of the virtual impossibility of immigrating. The industrial transformation of agriculture can only be... Man, this is like Florida. Anyway. <laughs> the industrial transformation of agriculture can only be achieved with the agreement of the poor peasants via the dictatorship of the proletariat that is embodied in councils of industrial workers and poor peasants. Huh. <laughs> All right. Can, man, this is a long-ass organization, motherfucker. <sighs> Factory workers and poor peasants are the two driving forces of the proletarian revolution. For them, especially communism, 
Where are we? Okay. Communism is a vital necessity. Its advent signifies life and liberty, while the continued existence of private property signifies the imminent danger of being crushed, of losing everything, including life itself. They are the revolution's irreducible element. They sustain revolutionary enthusiasm. They represent the iron will to accept compromises, but to carry on implacably. Implacably? I don't know how to say that. Okay. Until everything has been accomplished without either being demoralized by temporary and partial setbacks or manufacturing too many illusions as a result of easy victories. They represent the backbone of the revolution, the iron battalions of the advancing proletarian army, which overturns obstacles by its sheer weight or lays siege to them with its human tides that demolish and corrode through patient work and tireless sacrifice. For them, communism represents civilization. It stands for the system of historical conditions in which they will acquire a personality, a dignity, a culture, and through which they will become a spirit creating progress and beauty. Any revolutionary work has a chance of succeeding only to the degree that it is based on the necessities of their life and on the needs of their culture. It is essential that the leaders of the socialist and proletarian movement understand this. And is it essential that they see the urgency of the problem of giving this irrepressible revolutionary force the structure bust adapted to its diffuse mentality? In the backward conditions of the pre-war capitalist society, capitalist economy, sorry, same difference, right? (laughs) Uh, There was no scope of the emergence and development of mass peasant organization on a wide scale in which the agricultural worker could acquire organic conception of class struggle as well as the discipline needed to reconstruct the state after the capitalist catastrophe. Which, what a nice way to describe the First World War. (laughs) <laughs> the capitalist catastrophe. <sighs> okay, so anyway. The spiritual advances made during the war, the communistic experiences accumulated over four years of bloody exploitation, undergone collectively standing elbow to elbow in the muddy, bloody trenches. All this... In the muddy, bloody trenches. All this will be frittered away unless every individual is involved in organs of new collective life. In the functioning and practice of these, the advances can be consolidated. The experiences developed and linked and directed consciously towards the accomplishment of concrete historical of a concrete historical goal. Organized in this way, the peasants will become an element of order and of progress left to themselves. Uh, oh, and progress. <clears throat> Left to themselves, incapable as they are waging any systemic and disciplined action, they will become a disordered rabble, a tumultuous horde driven to the cruelest barbarities by the unprecedented sufferings, which are becoming ever more frighteningly evident. Is he about to say now is the time of monsters? <laughs> I feel like that's the next line. No, that's a different one. Oh, damn. Like, that essay, like, rips even harder. Really, this essay is fucking incredible. Okay, so continuing. Final paragraph. The communist revolution is essentially a problem of organization and discipline. 
given the actual objective conditions of Italian society, the protagonists of the revolution will be the industrial cities, with their tightly packed and homogeneous masses of factory workers. Hence, we must devote maximum attention to the new life that the new form of class struggle is evoking within the factory and the process of industrial production. But with the forces of the factory workers alone, the revolution will not be able to establish itself on a stable and widespread basis. The cities must be welded to the countryside. I like that. <sighs> the cities must be welded. <laughs> Get the steel workers. <laughs> um, institutions of poor peasants must be set up in the countryside on which the socialist state can be established and developed cough cough chunkalutas projects and pineridge cough cough and through which the socialist state will be able to foster the introduction of machinery and direct the immense process of transformation of the agrarian economy in Italy this undertaking is not so difficult as it might seem during the war, vast numbers of the rural population entered the urban factories. Communist propaganda rapidly took root among them. They can now act as a mount they can now act as a bond between the town and countryside. They must be used to mount an intense propaganda campaign in the countryside to destroy suspicion and resentment, taking advantage of their profound understanding of the rural psychology and the confidence they inspire. They must be used precisely to begin the activity necessary to bring about the emergence and development of the new institutions that will draw the vast forces of the agricultural workers into the communist movement. Where is it? Oh, banger. Worked. Huh? It worked this time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Were you were you there for last episode? Yeah. Awful. <laughs> so uh, anyway, we're gonna stop there and we're gonna pick up on the Livorno Congress. Dun dun dun. And so we're on a uh, page one ten slide one ten. I, I don't know. <laughs> I guess that's the best way to describe it. Um. But uh, what we learned today is that we're right. <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, I mean, like, this is like, you know, it's not hard to make this analysis, it seems. You know, like, if you read the books and think about your conditions, it seems like when you go to read Gramsci, you too will come to the same conclusions. You know, and I'm sure there's been a lot of, like, now I'm, like, really interested in reading Palanzas more, you know? You should. <laughs> and any time you get into an argument or a discussion with someone who's like, well, you know, I might be a settler, but I didn't choose to be born in the U.S., just call them an unconscious vampire. No, I know. That's going to be a go-to. Unconscious <laughs> vampire is a killer. Like, do it. Fuck. That's so real. Ooh, excuse me. So anyway, um, if you enjoyed the podcast and want to tell us what we should read next, the, these are the options we're thinking right now. So you should really email other ones to us before we start the poll so they are an option to be voted for. And it will probably let people vote for at least three. 
right? Because I know I can't choose just one. Um, I yawned, didn't I? I'm drinking like a bunch of Red Bull. It's crazy. I'm yawning. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, freaking or energy drinks, you know, like not Red Bull. It's like five dollars a can. <laughs> um, you know, uh, we'll we'll set up a straw poll that's probably going to be best accessible through the Discord or the Twitter. Um, otherwise, though, you know, message us at our emails, which like at Mark's Madness Pod or uh, wait, Mark's Madness Pod at gmail.com. Fuck me. <laughs> but uh, otherwise, the Chunkaluta email is like Chunkaluta Network at proton.me, or you can message me at my private. Uh, email which is bands of turtle island at gmail.com um otherwise we have a link tree with all of our many social medias besides mark's madness which you can reach at mark's madness pod and my personal one which is decolonial marks otherwise you know it's like chunkaluta org on twitter and then everything else is chunkaluta network so go support us on our other stuff and go check out the many cool things we are you know, already accomplishing in our first year of operations. So, um, you know, very proud of where we're at already and look forward to more progress in the future. Uh, anything you'd like to add, Prez? Did I miss anything? Uh, no. Go read Palancis. Oh, I think the only thing the link tree doesn't have is, like, we have um, we have a couple different charity things going on that will be in the show notes. Um, that you can help out with. Thank you very much. Um, Repolonsis. Um, another one up on the list is going to be Decolonial Marxists. Uh, Red Nation Rising, Border Town Violence in America. That might be a little risky. <laughs> that might garner a... We might have to do like a synopsis instead of a live read. Legality reasons. A lot of people have been talking about horn, so maybe you have a specific horn book you want. You know, like counter revolution. Have to be yeah. More specific. Yeah, exactly. So it's they're they're all good, probably. Um, Palancis. There's a million different things we could do. Maybe Prez would put together another reader. Um, so there's three books. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's like. I can nail down a specific one of the three. Okay. And put that in the poll. There we go. Um, I don't know. The, uh, there was other ones. I forget. Foundations of Leninism was another one. We just mentioned one. What is to be done? You know, uh, you know, there's a lot people want to hear. So let us know. Oh, uh, we're also going to be working with uh, the Leaping Larry stream to start uploading his already streamed readings of like Kim Jong-un's work and stuff like that. Um, and we'll be launching the new news show show <laughs> on that stream. And we'll see how it goes. If we want to keep doing it or whatever, instead of dedicating the whole stream to it um, until we know it's like sustainable and then like, Oh, we'll move off the channel and do like a longer set or whatever set 
this is like a fucking stand-up routine, I guess. <laughs> um, so anyway, um, I'm Shumani too. I'm Chris. And David's not here, but I actually did it right this time. So have a good one. Bye.